This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on the 1st of July, the first day of the month, but also the last day of the week. Yes, and it's the beginning of the second half of 2022. We're heading into the last six months of the year. How time flies, as we like to say here. And when we say we, I mean we, The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. I'm with Wong Xiaoning. Good morning, good morning. The whole of KL and whoever's listening. I hope you're looking forward to the weekend because we are on the cusp of yet another weekend. We're happy to go through this Friday with you. And as always, we have a lot of interesting conversations lined up to get you through the Friday morning. Beginning at 7.15, Malaysia's middle class is shrinking amid the rising cost of living. How does this affect the economy? We're going to discuss the outlook for M40 households with social economist Dr. Lee Ho Aun. And at 7.30, what's the outlook for M&A activity in the global environment despite this rising interest rate environment. Dr. Gregory Bernay of PwC gives us his predictions. And then after that at 7.45 when we're on the topic of M&As, we're going to be discussing an M&A that's happening here, which is the Cellcom DG merger. We're going to talk about some of the pushback that's happening against it. We'll have business writer P. Gunasegaram on the line with us to lay out the opposing arguments. So all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was the Jackson 5 with Dancing Machine. Before that, you also heard Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth. You're listening to The Morning Run, 6.07 a.m. on Friday, the 1st of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning. Now, we don't normally like to start the morning on a tearful note, but we have a good excuse to discuss reasons to weep. And I think there are many of them, actually, when you think about it. But anyways, science suggests that crying, crying can be an effective coping mechanism for stress and anxiety. So there's actual research conducted on when crying is beneficial and the results may surprise you or not, perhaps if you're used to crying when you're feeling stressed and it's helpful. Do you find crying cathartic, Shouting? Yes. I'm going to be brave and admit that I do cry. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when I know I've kind of semi-hit my limit and then I just let it go. Mm. Uh, and it's like where you do it really surprises you. I've done it like... I, one place that I do it all the time is in the car when I'm driving alone. Mm. And then I quickly wear my sunglasses even though there's no one <laughs> in the car. It could be very late at night and I'll suddenly just like put on the sunglasses. Sunglasses I at didn't... night don't sound very safe, Shaoni. I know, I don't know why. It's like some crazy woman, right? She's crying there and then she just automatically puts her sunglasses <laughs> on like it's some shield and nobody can see me. But firstly, no one can see me, right? I think motorcyclists have seen me before and I'm sure they'll be like, What's going on? But anyway, yeah, I tend to do it in the car. Uh, maybe because you're all alone and then you can really wail and no one can hear that you, is right? True. That is true. The car is as soundproof as it <laughs> yeah. can get. Although I think maybe scares other people. But yeah, I do tend to cry um, when I feel like I just need it to let it out. It's just too much. Mm. And in the past, right, I used to be feeling like, you know, this crying is something you do. It's, it's, it's associated with shame. Or weakness, right? Yeah, weakness. Like it's not a positive thing. And as I get older, I realise, no, sometimes it's just like a release. And you feel much better after that, you know. You just kind of let it all out. And I think COVID, the last two years, has really let me get a little bit more in touch of how I feel. And I'm come to the stage where I really don't care whether anybody sees me crying sometimes now. If I need to, I'll just let it out. But the main thing is I have a check. After I cry, 
do I feel better or do I feel worse? And mm. this is exactly what the article addresses. That crying is good for you, but you need to check your emotions after that. And if you don't feel any better, then maybe you really need to go and see somebody about it. You need to see a therapist and have a deeper conversation within yourself as to why you feel this way. So we're referring to an article from the Wall Street Journal uh, titled, Here's How to Cry the Right Way to Relieve Stress and Anxiety, written by Elizabeth Bernstein. So it details some of the studies that have been conducted on crying. And I guess one of the highlights for me was the fact that there is uh, psychological research on crying that's been done for the past 30 years. Over 35 countries. I don't know whether there are patterns like do Malay cry differently from Singaporeans <laughs> or like people from UK? Is there like a social norm about crying? Maybe how society views crying is different also. That's true. And some of the findings that they found was that um, people feel better after crying when someone else responds in a kind and supportive way. And it also helps when people are crying over things that they feel they can control. So when they feel that they have agency in whatever problem that's affecting them, the crying helps in a way, I mm. suppose, like you said, as a stress relief and just to get it out there. But then after that, I think because people feel they can take action, then they look back and, yeah, crying actually helped in that. So it's very interesting to see the different factors that go into why crying is helpful. Yeah. Uh, this article is so cute because um, it does give you some expert advice if you want to have a good cry. So firstly, I think we acknowledge that crying is normal. There's no shame. Go ahead and do it if you feel like you need to. Uh, but after you've done it, maybe have a little bit of a channel check as to why you had to. What were the trigger points? Why do you feel this way? Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? Do you want to seek more help? I think those are the practical tips. But even if you're going to have a cry, there's some expert advice. Like like the first one is find a safe place. So you all know where my safe place is. It's, in your car. It's in my car. With my, your sunglasses with on. With my sunglasses on, even if it's 8 p.m. Uh, I, yeah, so that is my safe place, right? Because I feel nobody's watching me. No one's judging me. I can just do it. I can make as much noise. You know, I can slobber as much as I want. And it's okay. It's fine. It's You know, after that, I'll be okay. The second one, so I think this one is very useful. But I have to admit, it's not something I do. And that is a friend can help. So mm. sometimes you might want to cry with someone close next to you. I tend to cry. I'm a, I'm a solo crier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a solo venture in your case. Uh, but yes, as the re research said, that when you have someone to support you in that time, just having someone whom you feel is on your side can be quite helpful um, as you cry. I, I guess the whole discussion on crying also stems from the fact that a lot of us find it hard to sit with these uncomfortable feelings. Right? Mm -hmm. We don't like these feelings of discomfort. And crying just seems to amplify that, the fact that we're having these unpleasant emotions. But it is part of life and it is part of a healthy mental state. Yep. You know? So tell us what you think. What do you, what's your attitude to crying? How do you react to other people crying? And um, is there a problem uh, with, I guess, seeing tears in public or in private in terms of expressing yourself? please WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'd love to hear from you. It's coming up to 6.13 in the morning. We're heading into some messages, but we'll come back with more discussion, uh, this time looking at uh, carbon food labeling and whether that can have an effect on how we make our consumer decisions. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was the Red Hot Chili Peppers with a song dedicated to the troll under the bridge, I'm sure. That was, of course, under the bridge. You're listening to the Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning. 6.19 in the morning on Friday, the 1st of July. 
Um, yeah, before we move on, actually, I've got an interesting convers- uh, little uh, WhatsApp in from Ro who asked me whether I switch on the wipers when I cry. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. Maybe I should instead of wearing those sunglasses. <laughs> those wipers are your fingers, I'm sure, as they <laughs> wipe the tracks of your tears off your cheeks. Uh, that was Ro weighing in on our discussion earlier about crying and where's a safe place to cry. You can still send us your comments on whether you think crying is an appropriate uh, mechanism to deal with stress and anxiety. We are turning our attention now, though, to another article that caught our eye, this time from the Financial Times. And we're looking at the article discusses ways to alter our diets in response to climate change, because believe it or not, the food we eat is responsible for one third of global greenhouse gas emissions. So if you ever feel that you can't do anything to impact how uh, much carbon is being emitted, uh, that's not quite true. Because your carbon footprint can be reduced um, by making conscious decisions on the type of food that we consume. Yeah, so this article does point to Robin May. He's the chief scientific advisor for the UK's Food Standard Agency. And what he has noted is that uh, a significant portion of, I guess, uh, UK residents have actually made that shift, have tried to change their diet in the last 12 to 18 months in order to become more sustainable. So the trend is there. And I think the trend is probably not specific just to to UK. It's probably coming uh, to these shores also. So even for like myself, when I think about uh, what I eat, how I consume the items, the packaging, all that comes into consideration when I spend my money. Uh, but this this article is about whether we should develop carbon labels, like uh, almost like nutritional labels, mm. right? Uh, so when you look at it, you know what is the carbon footprint automatically. Just like currently when you pick up a, a, a box of conflicts, you know the fat level, you know the sugar level, you know the protein level, how much salt, all the additional whatever's in there in, in, in that goes towards making that, that conflicts. So this move to put carbon labels on food, it's still very nascent. I think there are very few actual examples in the market on this. Um, Denmark is announcing that it's spending about $1.3 million to develop carbon labeling proposals by the end of the year. So I think they're one of the first nations to actually look at a scheme to put this into place. Otherwise, um, carbon labels are done by individual companies. So most notably, the uh, oat milk company Oatly. Mm. Uh, They have carbon labels on their products. And I think another company called Quorn also uh, puts carbon data on some of their products. So it's it's a patchwork of uh, companies doing this. So the broader discussion is would this have an impact on consumer choices if it's made more readily available across consumer products? Yeah, I think uh, the reason why they argue that carbon labelling is required is because um, there's this company, Carbon Cloud, they're a climate change research company. They say that actually we are very bad when it comes to judging which steps of the food production actually created the most emissions. So we're not good at saying, okay, this box of conflicts is bad or good for the environment. This packet of meat is bad or good for the environment. I mean, we think something like strawberries, oh, it has to be good. It's fruit. It's, you know, from the earth. But if it's being uh, shipped in all the way from South Africa, uh, that has a pretty big carbon footprint to it, as opposed to, say, maybe strawberries grown in Cameron Highlands. Yeah, or like if you just buy bananas grown locally, right? And uh, the transportation cost is very minimal. So I think those are the things that sometimes you're right. We have these preconceived notions as to what is environmentally friendly and what's not. We just put all vegetables and fruit in the same category, but really that's not the case, especially if you're eating fruit that's not in season. And for us, the truth is we do import quite a lot of our fruit. Mm, We are a net food importer. Yeah, like one thing I cannot figure out, and this this is my own thing. 
avocados. We apparently grow it in Sabah, but we don't really get the Sabahan avocados. No, well, I think our avocados come from Mexico. Yeah, all the way, right? Uh, or South Africa. Why is that the case? Why don't we develop our own Sabahan avocados? Even though it is coming from East Malaysia, it is a shorter distance. But I think when it comes to carbon labelling, because it is not readily available now, there are still things that I think I do. One is, like, I don't buy so much meat as I used to because we know that generally meat is has a higher carbon footprint. The second thing is I don't like to waste anything because then it goes into the landfill, right? So whatever I buy, I try to use it 110%. Try to have a, a roster, like a list on my fridge to, so that I have some control over what's in there, what's not in there. When I buy something, I look at it, does it have a lot of packaging? Is this really necessary? Should I buy something with less packaging? And of course, please bring your own bags when you go grocery shopping. I think these are the simple things that we can do. Or even like when we tap out, take away, bring your own Tiffin carrier. So you don't have to wait for carbon labeling to become a reality. You can make these quite practical and sensible uh, decisions as you shop today. Tell us, how do you reduce your carbon footprint as you go grocery shopping or in your daily consumption? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio 624 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30am news bulletin. We'll come back after that with a look at global headlines. But here's Peter Gabriel in your eyes to take you to the news. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was US Girls with Rose. But you're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.40 in the morning on Friday, the 1st of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning. And it's that time of morning when we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Shaoning, start us off with what's caught your eye. Uh, guess who's visited Hong Kong? Um, I don't know. Chinese President Xi Jinping. His uh-huh. first visit outside China since uh, COVID-19. Actually, he hasn't been seen very much in public in China to begin with. Well, they would argue Hong Kong is still part of China, yeah. Well, it is part of China, so he's still in China. Yeah, but... yeah he's just going <laughs> across a, a, like a little bit of a straits. Is it like a mini sea? Right. Um, I, yeah, he probably had to take a plane, right, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, because China's a big country. Anyway, it's partially because um, Hong Kong is celebrating 25 years since its return to Chinese rule. That's right. And mm. I just recall, I suppose, it's funny to think that... Oh, sorry, I lied. He took a train from mainland China. He didn't fly. That's very he, carbon conscious of him. Yeah, because he arrived in the West Kowloon station on Thursday afternoon with his wife. Um, of course, he was greeted there by the, I think, soon-to-be departed chief executive, Carrie Lam, as well as some local school children waving flags and had the lion dance. But basically, the point is he said that Hong Kong has withstood severe tests again and again, overcoming challenges one by one, after the wind and rain, Hong Kong has risen from the ashes. I think that uh, that remains to be seen, really. And it, <laughs> it actually brought me back a couple of years back, back to 2019, when we saw the massive protests on 1st of July. And 1st of July has always been um, a traditional date for um, people to demonstrate, I suppose, for the pro-democracy movement to demonstrate. But I think we've seen over the past two years how this uh, movement has um, been all but decimated and uh, and really where Hong Kong's future is moving forward, I think that's an open question that everyone's really watching. Yeah, so authorities have tightly restricted media coverage of Mr. Z's visit with the government actually barring multiple journalists from covering events around it. Uh, so AFP, they have confirmed that 13 local and international journalists were denied accreditation to cover the Hanover celebrations. 
So they're really keeping him in a little tight bubble and avoiding any potential embarrassment in case anybody asks him any awkward questions. This is according to the Singapore Straits Times, by the way. All right. Well, we're going to be following developments in Hong Kong, as we always do. We want to see what's the future of this uh, financial hub. But turning our attention over to other headlines, I've got a couple of headlines here related to the U.S. Supreme Court. So we we have the uh, newest addition to the Supreme Court, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Jackson. She has been sworn in and she she is the first black woman on the U.S. top court. She will be taking the place of Justice Stephen Breyer, meaning that the three liberal uh, judges are all women. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is Stephen Breyer retired. He voluntarily retired. He didn't wait to die, which is quite often what happens in the Supreme Court. Uh, so he kind of like said, okay, I'll make way, which is actually maybe that's the right thing to do, right? You know, you just decide enough is enough and then you make way for someone that is younger, maybe you think more suitable, more reflective of American society. Indeed. But this doesn't, uh, this latest appointment does not change the composition of the Supreme Court. It's still heavily skewed um, on the conservative side, uh, six conservative judges to three liberal judges. And uh, we, the Supreme Court has been in the news a lot mm. over this past two weeks because of some really landmark decisions they've made. And there's another one uh, that came out overnight. And this is regarding um, the powers of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So the Supreme Court uh, has said that the agency does not have the authority to limit emissions across whole states. And this will affect how President Joe Biden's mm. administration tackles its climate emission promises, essentially, yeah. um, because this does seem to limit what the federal state can do, what the federal government can do. But what's interesting is, okay, so you've had this recent uh, outcome. Then you've also had Roe invade. And I think that uh, recently there was also a case regarding the right to bear arms, whether it can be hidden or not hidden, right, disclosed or whatever. I think what the point is that I've also seen the last few weeks, a lot of commentary about whether the Supreme Court should be reformed in itself, hmm. right? Whether nine nine judges, is it nine judges? Uh, whether that's reflective of society, whether it should be extended to 20, whether there should be age limits to judges. So, interesting, right? Well, I think this is something I would like to follow. It's going to be interesting to see whether there will be any change in the near term or whether this debate will become intensified. Uh, whether, yeah, I, I suppose in the remaining time that Joe Biden has an office, whether anything can be done to actually, um, I suppose, impact how the Supreme Court decides cases. Uh, but anyways, it's 6.45 in the morning at the moment. We're heading into some messages and we'll come back with a look at what's making the headlines of our newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Bruce Springsteen with No Surrender. You're listening to The Morning Run on Friday, the 1st of July. It's 6.49 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning. Now we are taking a look at the headlines of our local newspapers and portals. What's caught your eye this morning, Xiaoning? Unfortunately, it's about inflation and the uh, rise of a lot of food groups. And I think today is the 1st of July, so we're going to see a price increases for uh, oil. There's going to be an increase in pet food prices. It's the end of the vehicle sales tax exemption. New seating prices for chicken, eggs. Um, this is the headline in the star. It's a, like a sad 1st of July cover. But Did you say pet food prices? Pet food, yes. This could, oh no, you have cats, right? I Sha? do. I do have Did a you cat. stock up? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm going to, be, I'm going to have to oh. expect a higher bill. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you tell us how much there's going to be an increase in. Uh, but basically, 1st of July. So the headline is a July jolt. And tell me, it's, it's a very valid headline, honestly. Uh, and if you haven't renewed your driving license, oops, 
You're going to have to reset all your tests. Do you know that? Oh, dear. I thought... To- if you expired, by the way. If you have expired on or before January 13 of 2021. I see. Okay. Mm. All right. That this was something that had been um, in the news, I yes. think, for the past couple of weeks, just uh, reminding everyone to renew their license um, in, a mo- in a timely manner. Yeah. The only thing that hasn't changed, well, I'm sure there are many things that haven't changed, but a big thing that hasn't changed is no change in water and electricity tariffs for domestic users in Peninsula Malaysia. But otherwise, everything's up. And in the government, in response to that, has created yet another task force. I have to say, when I read the headline, I was a little bit perplexed because if I recall correctly, the government already has a national council on cost of living. So I didn't really see the need to uh, come up with yet another task force, but they have done so. And this is the special task force for jihad against inflation. I feel the name also to me was rather is is rather questionable mm. but uh, uh yes uh, Tan Sri Anwar Musa the uh, minister of communications has been appointed as the uh, head of this task force yeah other members include finance minister Tengku Datuk Sri uh, Zafro agriculture and food industry ministers Datuk Sri uh, Ronald Candy Domestic Trade and Consumer Affairs Minister Datuk Sri Alexander Natalingi, Minister in the Prime Minister's Department Datuk Sri Mustafa Mohammad, and Chief Secretary to the Government Tan Sri Mohammad Zuki Ali. Guess what? Uh, which is something YB Hannah Yo uh, noted. It's all men and rich men. That's what she said. I think that's a very astute observation. Yeah. Uh, there is definitely a lack of representation there. Well, uh, Tan Sri Anwar has basically said, this is not the end of the task force. More will be added along the way. So I do, I do hope that, yes, we will see representatives, not just from ministers, because this is like a mini cabinet, right? Don't they already discuss this in a weekly cabinet meeting? But more members of the public or NGOs or women's group, especially women, because to be honest, when it comes to shopping, I think it's usually women that take on that task, will be added to this jihad task force to reflect society a little bit better. And I hope that we get... I wonder when these six men went grocery shopping last. (laughs) And they're very busy, right, to be fair. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, indeed. And I guess what my question is, how... I hope that a, a clearer mandate of this special task force comes to light because I do feel that the role that they've uh, elucidated for themselves so far, it overlaps with a bunch of already existing uh, government agencies. They're talking about looking at the uh, potential of cartels or whether they exist. We have the MyCC for that already. So I, I'm just wondering what what new element does this special task force bring to light that doesn't already exist in the current framework? Well, they're going to meet twice a week, Monday and Thursday, so adding more meetings to more meetings. All right, something that we will keep an eye on for sure. Uh, 6.53 in the morning. We've got time for a couple more headlines. What uh, else has caught your eye, Shani? This one kind of just slipped in. um, I'm reading it from The Vibes, and it's apparently the Kota Kinabalu Airport to be relocated to Kimanis, um, which is the state investment arm. Okay, so The Vibes reports that this plot, this proposed location is 59 kilometers from Kota Kinabalu City. Uh, Kazana, that's sorry, the State Investment Board, they are, apparently there's going to be a signing of an MOU, apparently, allegedly, with Bajaya Lands, covers a relocation of the airport involving the construction, development of a new air, international airport alongside a plan in the new site or any land deemed suitable by the state government. Uh, SPV will undertake the proposed project. 
Interesting. 59 kilometers. Interesting. That's an hour outside of the city. Um, if you're, you know, taking into account, I suppose, just the roads and, and traffic and everything. Um, uh, just uh, to note that Kimanis is actually the constituency for uh, Anifa Aman, Datuk Sri Anifa Aman. He was formerly of UMNO. Uh, then uh, I think he's now part of his own party, uh, Parti Cinta Sabah. Um, I, I, was, uh, th- I find that sub- interesting that uh, from Kota Kinabalu to Kimanis. Yeah. Um... I'm um, not sure how much due diligence was done. It was there an open tender? What was the process to decide if indeed this story is true? Okay, so still a, a story that uh, needs to be confirmed, I suppose. But this is some of the uh, reports coming out. We'll be following this. We'll be seeing what what more developments come out of this story. 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin. Uh, we'll come back after that with a look at how global markets closed overnight. But taking you to the news is Kings of Convenience with I'd Rather Dance. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.